Hey, it's Callie, and you're listening to the 29th episode of the Hippie Haven podcast. Every Wednesday, I interview experts on how they live an ethical and eco-friendly lifestyle and how you can too. Previously, we've covered topics like how to go zero waste, environmental activism, preventing food waste, secondhand shopping, starting an eco-business, and so much more. My goal is to inspire you to take action, both in your day-to-day routine and on a larger scale of combined advocacy, because I believe that together we can make a difference in saving the planet. If you haven't already, be sure to hit that subscribe button so that you automatically get each new episode right when it comes out. So I have some big news and I need your help. My eco-business, Bestowed Essentials, is in the running for a $50,000 small business grant from FedEx. This is so exciting because this grant would allow us to move to a more accessible location in the downtown Rapid City area near the bus line, quadruple our production and store space, provide more local jobs, expand our bulk ingredient section and our product line by stocking other female-owned eco-businesses, as well as being able to offer more community resources like secondhand clothing and item swaps, educational workshops related to environmentalism, more recycling and compost drop-off bins, and to produce additional content for this Hippie Haven podcast to continue spreading the word of a low-impact lifestyle to our worldwide audience. In order for us to win this grant, I need you to vote for Bestowed Essentials every day until April 1st. The link to our voting page is in the show notes for this episode right here on the podcasting app where you're listening to this right now. And I'm also posting a daily reminder in our Instagram stories with an easy swipe up to vote. So if you're not already following Bestowed Essentials on Instagram, it's just at Bestowed Essentials, please do so so that you remember to vote every day. Also, if you can share our voting page with your friends and encourage them to vote for us every day as well, I will forever be so thankful. Now, today's guest is Chris Maxwell Gaines, a licensed professional engineer with a BS in civil engineering from Texas A&M University, where he specialized in water and wastewater engineering. Chris is the owner of Innovative Water Solutions in Austin, Texas, and he is an ARCSA Rainwater Catchment Systems accredited professional. In this episode, Chris is sharing some easy ways you can conserve water at home, how to collect, filter, and use rainwater, We talk about what gray water is and how to reuse it, the legalities of using rainwater and gray water throughout the U.S., and more. You can find the show notes and transcript for this episode on my website, ahippieinavan.com forward slash 029. This episode is sponsored by Little Lentil, an online marketplace for organic and sustainable baby clothing. They use certified organic cotton, fair labor practices, 100% renewable energy, and they support environmental initiatives as a member of 1% for the planet. You can cut down on textile waste by sending back your outgrown little lentil clothes and get 15% off your next purchase. Their Loved Again program offers those pre-loved quality organic baby clothes at over half off the price of new items. Shop their new and pre-loved sustainable baby clothes by visiting littlelentilclothing.com and use code HIPPIE20, that's H-I-P-P-I-E-2-0, at checkout to save 20% off your first order. As always, thank you for supporting our podcast partners and helping me keep the mic on. Now for today's episode. Tell me about your background in water conservation and why it's something that you're passionate about. So uh, my background, we, I've been doing this a long time. Um, basically, I grew up on a small farm in, in central Texas. And so the, uh, the environment and, and things like that, you know, from an early age was very important to me. Um, so much so that uh, whenever I got uh, to uh, figuring out what I want to do 
majoring in college. Um, wanted to do something that was environment, but had the, the math and science uh, type of background because I was good at that. So I settled on civil engineering and uh, went to Texas A&M University in College Station, Texas. And uh, um, going through that, you know, of course, you learn about uh, the kind of the way that civil engineers, um, you know, do things now and where we've come from from the history. And I, I bring this up because it's important in terms of my the path, how I got to where I'm doing now is, um, you know, you really learn about centralized systems. So meaning we pump water from one place or we pump it out of a lake and then we treat it and then we put it in a pipe and send it miles and miles away to your home. And then once you use the water, the, the wastewater is collected, goes into a distribution system to bring it back to the wastewater treatment plant, which could be miles and miles away from your house as well. So, um, you know, learning about that, of course, um, was is an important thing. But um, what you'll what I'll talk about later on uh, with the rainwater harvesting and gray water reuse is really decentralizing our water uh, usage and water resources. So, um, so after, uh, through college, uh, I knew I didn't want to just jump off into the, uh, into the, uh, engineering, you know, sit at a desk and do your calculations type of world. So, uh, my, my wife and I, uh, we decided to uh, join the Peace Corps. And so, uh, we were accepted and, uh, we got assigned to, uh, Suriname, South America. I guess once I got to my Peace Corps time, where I really, it really hit me that, you know, we take so much for granted. And I know that's a, a, a cliche, but we take it so much for granted that we can just come and open up our faucet and this really amazing clean water comes out. Um, again, you say what you want to say about fluoride and, and uh, chloramines and all that stuff. But and when you compare it to the rest of the world, uh, our water in the U.S. Is, is really amazing. And so to have that opportunity just to you know open the tap water comes out and then it goes away and you don't have to deal with the, you know, the waste of that. Um, it's just truly amazing. And so we take it for granted. And so it really hit me coming from my civil engineering background to living in a village where everything is decentralized. You know, we had a latrine uh, to go do our business. Uh, we had to collect our rainwater. Uh, we had to go and walk to the river to wash our clothes, our dishes and our bodies because uh, we didn't want to use your precious rainwater for those sources. So we had to walk about a mile, you know, to uh, do all that stuff. So um, you really learn that water, you know, and the availability of water is amazing. And so therefore, we come back here to the U.S. And um, uh, my business partner who I met, it was another fellow Peace Corps volunteer. Uh, we just decided, we're like, you know, things have to change. And, uh, you know, why aren't more people focused on uh on water conservation in terms of uh, rainwater harvesting and, and gray water reuse and, and these kind of kind of next step technologies. Um, and so we decided, hey, you know, let's uh, start a company. And so we did uh, back in 2004. And what are some easy and low cost ways to conserve water in the standard American home? So to start off, um, so there's two components when you think about water use. Um, so there's fixtures or the actual fixture. So imagine a, a sink uh, uh, where the water comes out, right? Your sink faucet. Um, that when you turn it on, it has a certain flow rate of water that comes out. So there's that component, but then there's a component of what well, do you leave it on? Say for instance, brushing your teeth, right? 
there's people who leave it on and then there's people who turn it off and on. And so say you have a very low flow faucet, but if you leave it on the whole time you're brushing your teeth, then obviously you're going to use a lot more water um, than someone who maybe say they had a, an old faucet that used a lot more water per minute, but you turn it on and off while you're brushing your teeth and you can see you could probably use a lot less water than someone who just left it on, even though they have the most high end technologically advanced faucet. So we have to recognize that there's these two components in water use. And so therefore, um, I think easiest way, obviously, to start with is, is your usage, meaning your habits. So again, all the simple stuff and there's plenty of websites so you can go and find like, you know, the top 100 tips of how to you know save water and stuff like, you know, again, turn it off to uh, sink while you're brushing your teeth, uh, collecting um, wash water um, from your from your sink so that then you can, you know, maybe use it out outside on your plants. Um, and so there's all those and that's there's there's tons of these little things and it all comes down to your, your personal habits. Uh, but in terms of uh, one simple little component or simple little technology, I think that could save just a tremendous amount of water for very cheap. Um, this little component probably costs between five to ten dollars, and uh, you can find it online. You can find it at, you know, uh, uh, probably I think most of these home improvement box stores. Uh, but basically, it is a on and off uh, switch um, that you uh, screw into your shower head. So right before when the pipe comes out of the, the the wall there, and you unscrew your shower head, this little thing goes on, and then you put your shower head back on, and it is just very simple so that whenever it allows you to take a Navy shower. And basically that is you have the water on, you get you wet, you shut it off, you do your suds up, you know, you wash your hair, wash your body, all that stuff while the water is off. And then it keeps the temperature, all that stuff. And then you click that, you know, thing back on, rinse off, do that back and forth. But it just, it just, it just can show you that while rather than the water just running and running down, you know, uh, into the drain the whole time you're in the shower, that this simple little $5 component over the course of a year um, can save a tremendous amount of water. And so therefore the return on investment is literally probably only a couple, you know, a month or two for this little component. So, um, so while habits is something that you can, you know, change and, and everyone should work on, in terms of the easiest technology that someone can just uh, put into their uh, existing home is, is what I described that shower on and off. Uh, and I, for, forgive me, I don't know what the official you know name of that uh, little component is, but uh, uh, that's the best. I mean, of course, you can take it up to the next step in, in terms of uh, your aerators for your faucets, changing them out so that then it, um, uh, less water comes out and it uh, feels like the same amount of water, but it's basically just putting more air into the flow. Uh, you know, you can take it up to the next step if you have an older toilet, uh, changing that out to a newer, newer toilet. But again, newer toilets nowadays, you know, you're talking between three to five hundred dollars. And then, of course, the, the plumber plumbing charge to have those changed out. So um, definitely those it's kind of like you could think of it like a like a, a matrix or like a hierarchy. You know, you can, you can there's these little things you can do at the bottom. But once you do those you're going to have to graduate and take it to the next step. And so, you know, I think that people need to focus on the bottom and then in that bottom part is the habits. And so if you know that you're doing everything you can to, you know, conserve water, just do your habits. Now you want to take it to the next step. And that's where you go into the more expensive um, uh, technologies that are available out there. So. 
I did four years in the Navy, actually, so I'm hey, very, hey. very well familiar with that type of shower. There you go. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Not exactly something that I want to go back to, no, but I, I do totally understand that it saves a lot of water. It's, it's, and, it's, and then again, it's the um, it's kind of what we got to think about our relationship with water, right? And so, um, you know, are you doing things right now that you could change slightly that will not change your um, life, you know, I guess your, your livelihood, or I don't know, that's, that's not the right word, but, you know, are there some things that you can just easily change in your habits that doesn't decrease your enjoyability of, you know, the experience that you're having, right? So, you know, the Navy shower for me is, is kind of a, an easy thing because, you know, I'm okay with not having that water cascading over me the whole time. And, and but again, I just feel like because of the, obviously the number of showers that we take. And then when you look at how many minutes we're in the shower, um, if you can just shut, you know, reduce those a few more minutes every single time, you know, and you multiply that by almost every day, um, you know, that's just, it's just a very easy uh, uh, way to just save tremendous, tremendous amounts of water. Definitely. And so the next topic that I want to move on to is rainwater harvesting. What are the benefits of collecting and using rainwater? Oh, there's so, so many. Um, so the first off is obviously um, collecting the free water that is falling on your roof and, and repurposing that uh, to uh, conserve water that you would need to use um, out of the water main or the, 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 the municipal water system. So, so obviously that's the, the number one. Um, you know, the, the rainwater is obviously a better choice for uh, irrigation uh, use, uh, land, uh, uh, landscape plant use. Uh, rainwater doesn't have any sort of um, chemicals like uh, chlorine or chloramines or fluoride in it. Um, so it's a much better water source anyways for the plants. Um, so that's obviously the, the, the main benefit. And, um, and then from that, uh, from that kind of main benefit, there's these kind of offshoots. Um, uh, one being um, now when that water comes off your house, um, through your gutters and downspouts, it shoots out onto the, you know, the land around your house. Um, you know, majority of time it's probably going to soak in, uh, to that top layer of soil. And then over the, the time period between rain events, it's going to be either, you know, uh, trans, uh, uh, transpired, um, through the plants, or it's going to be evaporated, uh, from the soil, um, just through heat. Um, and, but in times, especially here in, uh, in, in Texas, when we get these really uh, long and hard rain events, a lot of that water runs off. And so the uh, benefit of rainwater harvesting, uh, side benefit, is you're helping uh, manage the stormwater. So you can imagine that if you know, everyone in the subdivision uh, had a system like this, that the potential flows coming off of people's properties and into the streets and down into our storm base, uh, stormwater pipes that then goes to our creeks and all that, that can really be lessened. And so uh, it's a major benefit. And so a lot of uh, uh, water, like kind of like watershed protection programs around the United States, they're actually looking at rainwater harvesting as a, a really great way to disperse stormwater management systems throughout the community. While, you know, everyone's getting the benefit of collecting the water to use it for conservation purposes, um, the community as a whole is getting the benefit because it's helping with uh, stormwater management issues. Um, another uh, kind of idea that, that sprouts off of the conservation is um, if you're going to collect it and use it for irrigation, 
uh, use or to water your you know, potted plants or whatever you have. Um, if you didn't have the rainwater system to water that same, those same plants, you're going to be having to use city water, municipal water. And so if we think about that municipal water uh, and think about its journey, and so where it starts from, whether it's a well, whether it's a lake, um, then it gets pumped into a, a water treatment plant. That water treatment plant uses energy to treat the water. Then it goes into the distribution system, which the system uses energy to pressurize the water, to push it out, right? So there's a lot of embodied energy uh, to get that little bit of water that you need to water your petunias, right? There's a lot of energy in that. So meaning there's a lot of carbon as well embodied in that. And so uh, therefore, by harvesting the water that's falling on your site to replace the water that you're having to use from maybe a far off source, um, you're reducing the carbon footprint, uh, your carbon footprint and uh, the water's carbon footprint. And so this, this uh, phenomenon or, or this is called the uh, energy water nexus or water energy nexus. And it's basically saying to produce water for consumption, it takes energy. And then on the flip side, to produce energy um, through our power plants and all that, they take an amazing amount of water to produce that energy. So, so energy and water are inherently linked. And uh, so by collecting rainwater, you can, you know, just start to shave off a little bit more of your carbon footprint uh, because you're not using water that's pumped from miles away. Um, so yeah, so those are kind of really the, the main benefits and they all sprout from just the, uh, the benefit of, of being able to conserve the water um, directly that's uh, fallen on your house that would otherwise just soak in or be most of it it just gets evaporated. So, uh, and, and, and we'll go in, well, I can, I'll probably just go into this now. Um, you know, there's some thoughts out there, uh, particularly in, in certain states that if you collect rainwater, you're going to impact uh, the local watershed, uh, meaning you're going to reduce the amount of water that is available downstream for the downstream users. And so the, um, the thought is, is that of course, you're holding that water and you're not allowing it to run off so it can get into our creeks and flow on down the, uh, the creek and into the uh, reservoir down down at the end so that then in that reservoir the state agency maybe has it delineated so that so much goes to this guy so much goes to this farmer etc so one thought is and if everyone's rainwater harvesting we're going to reduce that and that's going to harm the downstream users who are dependent on, on that runoff. Um, and, and just, uh, I, I really believe that's a, a bunch of bunk. Um, when you look at the studies, um, there's probably only about 5%, five to 10% of a rain event actually makes it to a point where it's recharging any sort of groundwater. So most of a, a rainstorm either uh, runs off or it soaks into the top layer of our soils. And then that gets, you know, evaporate it back into the atmosphere. And so again, most of a storm event is not even making it really all the way down to an end user. Uh, and then you think about rainwater harvesting, which is just typically defined capture from a roof surface. So if you just look around your, your neighborhood, right, you got these homes, but then all around the homes, you got these big yards or yards, and then you got the streets and then you got all, so there's so much more area where rain is falling other than our roof that's contributing to the to the runoff. 
And so there, there's just, uh, you know, this, this concept that rainwater harvesting is going to uh, be a detriment to downstream users is, is really not uh, viable. Um, but that is something that you will see out there. And hence, uh, states like Colorado, uh, they took that to heart, basically. And because of the way that the water laws are set up in Colorado, but they took that to heart and um, they basically said, you cannot harvest rainwater. And it wasn't until, um, I think it was three or four years ago, uh, the state legislature finally passed a bill that would allow single family homes to harvest rainwater. Uh, the bad thing is that you were only allowed two 50 gallon drums uh, so it's, uh, while it's, uh, it's a start, um, it really, it comes off that basis because of, uh, their water law system, believing that, uh, the water, as soon as it hits any surface, whether it's a roof, whether it's a yard, whether it's a street that becomes state owned water. And they've already appropriated that water to some, uh, person, some city, some, big farm, some subdivision, whatever it may be, they've already appropriated that water. And so whatever you're doing to capture that, you're actually kind of breaking the law. And so therefore, uh, that's how you, know, you, you hear this stuff. If you go online and you search, you know, is rainwater harvesting illegal? You will find so many fake news stories about rainwater being illegal. And they all point to the, the prime example is Colorado, where it's like, you know, hey, this is state-owned water, and you collect it, and you're going to you're going to jail, basically. Um, and so, while that's changing in Colorado, um, really, there is no state in America at all where rainwater harvesting is illegal. Now, there's plenty of states that do have boundaries, I guess, in terms of how much you can collect. So, for instance, Colorado, two fifty-gallon drums. Um, I think in Utah. Um, they have a max of 2,500 gallons, um, on a site is all you can, um, harvest. So while there's no place in America where it's illegal, um, there are places where they can restrict it. And so that will be definitely something for, for the listeners to kind of, to watch out for. But if someone comes just, you know, if they're checking it out and someone's just like, oh no, no, you can't collect rainwater. It's illegal. That is false. So, um. That is the uh, kind of we jumped ahead, I think, a little bit to the uh, legality of rainwater harvesting. But uh, it all ties in, I think, to the benefits and, and, and making sure that people are educated and not just uh, listening and, and seeing what uh, comes up in Google when you search, you know, is rainwater harvesting illegal in my community or whatever. So, And is rainwater safe to drink? Uh, it is very much. Um, so we do a lot of work here in the Hill Country, uh, which is the region to the west of Austin. And uh, it's, a, it's a very rocky, you know, very hilly uh, place, but still very vegetated. Um, and so out there is very popular in terms of, uh, you know, property and, and really great vistas and all this stuff. So a lot of population growth is happening out there. Um, and so because of that, you know, people in the old days used to depend on just drilling a well. And so they would drill a well and that would be fine enough for them. But because of the prop population pressures and everything, uh, drilling a well has become a very costly endeavor just because of the depth now that you have to get to to, uh, to have a reliable source of water. So therefore, a lot of people in the hill country are not drilling a well. Um, they are installing a large rainwater system. And, uh, you know, this this probably 
is anywhere from, you know, say a, a 20,000 gallon tank up to, you know, we've done 40 and 50,000 gallon tanks on these properties. And again, these properties are big. These are five and you know 10 acre lot properties, but it just shows you that you don't have to depend on, you know, just uh, the drilling a well. And again, most of these properties are in areas where they don't have a city water line passing by the property. So therefore they have to choose a well or a rainwater system. So rainwater system for potable use is, is really amazing. Um, it, you know, the way you design a system and install a system ensures that the uh, rainwater system, the rainwater is safe to drink um, along the way as the water is coming from the roof. Um, there's various filters and first flush systems and those things that we put into our system so that the water that's coming out of the tank is fairly clean of its own, but then we can take it through a typical cartridge filter uh, system, basically a sediment filter and then a carbon filter. And then we take it through a UV uh, uh, system and that UV system basically kills um, every bacteria and virus that's, that could be in the rainwater. Um, all in all, there's, there's really the virus thing. There's not, you know, if at all in rainwater, typically, um, of course there's bacteria, but there's bacteria in the water that you're drinking out of your, your city, you know, your city faucet. Um, it's just, it's not the harmful bacteria. So that's what you want to care about. So this UV system, uh, deactivates all of those, uh, uh, bacteria and viruses in the rainwater. So it actually becomes a, a really amazing water source, almost to the point where we've had clients who say, um, they actually, when they go out to eat, um, they will actually bring their own canister, their own rainwater for the water because they just cannot drink uh, city water anymore because of the, uh, you know, once you go onto rainwater and you have that very clean tasting water versus the water, you know, that has been treated from a lake, um, has, you know, chloramines, fluoride in it, all that. Definitely you can start to taste those things. And so, uh, uh, is, it is truly an amazing uh, water source. So yeah, definitely potable. Um, but again, this is not, I don't want to say like, hey, if I have a rain barrel, I'm going to collect some rainwater and then I can just go and lift, lift the screen up and dip a, you know, a, a, a can of water, a cup of water out of it and drink it. Uh, definitely won't, you don't want to do that. Um, the potable systems, you know, are set up in, in a way to make sure that the water that comes out of it is truly safe, uh, safe to drink. Um, and on the, on, you know, in line with that though, I mean, if you wanted an emergency water source, you know, there's definitely some uh, things out there like a, um, uh, like a Berkey water filter. Basically it's a, a, a tabletop, tabletop filter, um, that you can pull water through and it basically goes through a, a sediment and a carbon filter. Um, you know, so if you has an emergency need, like, you know, something happens in your, in your community and the water was shut off and you did have some sort of little rainwater system, there are things out there that, that could make it at least uh, potable for emergency situations. But yeah, I, I do not want anyone out there going, Hey, I'm going to set up a rain barrel and then I'm going to drink the water out of it. There's a, a lot more steps to making it potable, but it is, is, is once you do that, rainwater is a, a great uh, source um, one thing to do mention is that uh, it, uh, it could be possibly not legal in your area to collect rainwater for potable use. And so this was the case in Texas up until 2015. If you were, if your property had a city water line and a city water meter, you could not collect rainwater and use it for potable use. 
Um, you could use it for any other use. So irrigation, you could plumb it in to flush your toilets, uh, to your clothes washer. You could do all that, but you just could not take it to a potable drinking faucet like your kitchen sink or your bathroom sink. Um, but that law changed in 2015 here in Texas. So now, even though you're in a city and you have a city water main, city water to your property, now you can legally install a rainwater system, treat it, do all everything I talked about before, and plumb it into your house as a potable water source. So definitely um, something to check out as well in terms of your lo- local water uh, regulation. And for somebody who is interested in setting up some sort of like DIY rain barrel collection system, what are the basic steps to do that? And like, where can they go to find resources to learn how? Absolutely. Uh, so the, the, the most basic that everyone's uh, uh, used to and, and knows is just your typical rain barrel. Um, there is um, there's a lot of different styles of rain barrels out there. Um, you know, I always point people just because we don't carry rain barrels ourselves. And so just to give people a good source um, of a, a, a wide variety of, of rain barrels uh, is uh, there's an e-commerce site called Hay Needle. Um, they do like out, outdoor living stuff and all that. They have a wide range of rain barrels available. And they're, again, they're just a kind of a shipper, drop shipper type of setup. So, um, but in terms of having a bunch of different styles of rain barrels all in one place, uh, hayneedle.com uh, and then just search rain barrels. Uh, but the rain barrels are most easy is the uh, easiest because again, if you have limited space, if uh, you know, it, if you're in an apartment or something, you know that becomes really difficult. But uh, a rain barrel, easy thing, and that's just basically um, cutting your downspout, the metal downspout, to move the uh, the little 90 degree spout that's on the bottom of it, moving it up. So then you can install the rain barrel underneath it. Most of the rain barrels will have some sort of screening element on the top, which is important. Um, Also too, maybe uh, your gutter system has some sort of screen system on it as well to keep the leaves out. So that's a a benefit as well. Uh, You wanna do everything you can to keep the large organic matter from falling into the barrel or or tank. Um, You know, there will be, uh, small particles, uh, silt, dust, pollen, that type of stuff that's going to go through any sort of screen that you have. And that's that's okay, especially if you're using this just for irrigation use. Um, so you don't have to worry too much about that those type of particles. But you just don't want just a bunch of leaves dumping in there, acorns, uh, twigs, uh, because then that's the stuff that starts to break down and starts to uh, potentially uh, cause issues of uh, a smell, um, you know, the organic matter breaking down um, and actually uh, around here there's a there's a, a, a garden store that actually sells what they call compost tea and essentially it's it's water that they've run through compost in order to pull out the nutrients and then they have these you know five gallon jugs of this compost tea is kind of a brown looking uh, tea water and you're supposed to dilute it and then you use that on your on your plants to give them a boost it's kind of like a, i guess a, a water-based fertilizer uh, so really if you're only using rainwater for irrigation use if you know a bit of debris gets in there it's not the end of the world right and then it could actually cause uh, cause the water to have a little bit more benefit uh, with the nutrients uh, from that but if you can try to keep that stuff out, uh, that's, that's more beneficial. So that's the easiest kind of way for a DIY uh, setup. Uh, then from a rain barrel, and the rain barrel, I'm kind of saying, you know, 50 gallons, 75 gallons. Um, those are your typical sizes when you think of a rain barrel. 
but then I really feel like if you can just step it up a little bit higher. So if you can get into the, you know, the, the 150, the 200 uh, gallons, 250 gallons, you really will over the lifetime of that barrel, which again is going to be 30, 40, 50 years because it is plastic. Um, you know, by increasing that volume, you're going to collect way more water than you did if you were just putting it into a 50 gallon drum. And that's obvious. Um, but the, the great thing is that when you look at the space that a rain barrel takes up, and then you look at some of these other tanks that are a little bit larger, you're really not giving up too much more diameter or footprint to go up to these uh, higher volumes. And so basically, you know, you can go from a rain barrel that's 30 inches in diameter and maybe uh, the, the, the 250 gallon tank is 36 inches in, in diameter. So you give up six more inches, but it's taller than a rain barrel. And so therefore having a, a wider base and then taller, you get up real easy to these uh, higher volumes. And so if you can search out and find, you know, those uh, uh, larger uh, type of rain barrels or, or kind of tanks, I guess, um, you're going to be way more beneficial. And, and basically it goes down to the same thing. You're setting it up underneath the downspout. Um, there are uh, components, screening components that you can plumb in line uh, on a downspout. Uh, that will help to keep uh, the large debris out if the tank itself doesn't have a screened opening. Um, so there's certainly things out there. Uh, a, a good a good website for those components is uh, rainharvestingsupplies.com. Um, they carry uh, just a full line of, of various rainwater harvesting products. So you can find everything that you need to set up a, a DIY system there. So, so those are kind of the, the easiest uh, uh, ways for a DIY. Um, the, once you start getting up into these larger volumes, say, you know, 500 to 1,000, uh, particularly 1,000 and above, the tanks start to become pretty, you know, uh, difficult to push around, you know, start to become a little bit heavier. So it's, it's much more difficult for just one or two people to, you know, manhandle this tank and put it into place. And so once you start getting on those larger volumes, then you want to start thinking about, you know, uh, how, how, to, how am I going to get this into the place I want it? Uh, but I, I, I say that because I don't want to discourage DIYers from thinking about doing a larger volume because you certainly can. Uh, you just got to think about particularly the, the tank and getting that larger tank in place and how you're going to get it from maybe your street where it gets dropped off if it gets, if it gets delivered and how you're going to get it you know, to your backyard or wherever you want to install it. So, uh, so those are kind of the, the most straightforward and simple DIY options out there. And how do you keep mosquitoes out of your rain harvest tank? So the, uh, the, the main thing is the, the screening element um, that, that whether that's on the gutter or in on top of the rain barrel. So that's the main thing. Then the other part in the mosquitoes is making sure that there's not an open um, an open pipe. So say for instance, you have a rain barrel and you, you wanna make sure that there's some sort of overflow pipe from that because you don't want this rain barrel just to kind of spill over the top uh, because there's some issues of, as that water is cascading down, it can erode the base underneath the, the tank and over time then the, the, the rain barrel or tank starts to lean. Um, so you wanna have some sort of overflow pipe. Well, with this pipe, you know, you don't want to just leave it open in it because then again, mosquitoes can fly uh, into it. And so uh, there are uh, uh, rainwater harvesting components that you can glue onto the end of this uh, overflow pipe, overflow pipe, 
uh, which is essentially like a flapper. And so whenever the it's overflowing, it's pushing it open. And as soon as it stops overflowing, this flapper, you know, flaps down. So then no mosquitoes can get in. Um, the thing is, is that um, mosquitoes, uh, one vector, one place where people don't even think about mosquitoes uh, hatching is in the actual gutters. And so when you think of, when you, when you see a gutter after a rain event, a lot of times there is a tiny bit of water that's sitting in the bottom of your gutters that doesn't make its way to the outlet. Um, and so that little bit of water, uh, mosquitoes will fly up, they'll hatch their eggs uh, in that. And so there are times when there's a perfectly timed rain event when you're gonna have more rain that comes later on and it may wash larvae um, into your rain tank. And so you're not gonna you're not going to keep those larvae, you know, you're not going to have a fine enough screen to keep those out. Um, the problem with a super fine screen on a, on a top of a rain barrel is it's going to get gunked up so quickly, you're going to be maintaining that and cleaning that all the time. So you want to have a screen, but you got to really kind of uh, match it with what type of maintenance you want to do on it. So you're going to get larvae in the rainwater tank. So as long as you don't open up the lid, open up the screen, whatever, uh, and and as, as long as all the other openings are, are closed off, the mosquitoes are going to hatch and then they're going to die inside there. So as long as you're not opening them up to the environment where they can get out, um, that is how you can uh, stop it, you know, them from hatching and, and, and creating more. Uh, so, yeah, so, I mean, it, it, they're going to be there. There's just no way to, like, get rid of it. Uh, you know, you see some tips around the, the Internet about uh, putting these uh, little mosquito dunks. Um, this is a thing that you can buy at any home improvement store. And it's basically used for like fountains and uh, water gardens and, and such. Uh, but it's a, a little uh, tablet type of thing that you dunk in or you throw into your, your water. And then it, it you know, kills uh, the, the, the larvae and stuff of the the mosquitoes so you you hear tips where well if you have a mosquito problem in your rain barrel you can just throw these dunks in there and i say well if you're having a problem you know with that you really got to look at these other areas is it you know where is it easy for mosquitoes to get in and out of your rain barrel and making sure that you have those securely uh, off um, and and so that they can't go back and forth and uh, and so i'm glad you asked this question because i mean the mosquito borne illnesses uh, particularly in south the southern United States, uh, well, and in a lot of other countries around the world, you know, mosquito-borne illnesses are really bad. Um, you know, there's dengue, there's malaria, uh, there's, there's all those things like that. West Nile, so so this this growth of these uh, illnesses and these viruses uh, carried by mosquitoes is happening, and uh, maybe it's climate change or whatever. But here in Texas, you know, we're starting to see more and more cases of the West Nile. Um, illnesses uh, and so which are carried by mosquitoes so doing whatever you can to make sure that your rainwater harvesting system uh, doesn't uh, add to that is, is definitely beneficial so. let's talk about gray water next what is gray water so gray water um, is the water that comes from your bathtubs bathroom showers bathroom sinks and your clothes washer so that is termed gray water. And so obviously then black water is the water that comes from your toilets, from your kitchen sinks, and your dishwasher. And so gray water, um, if, if you're in a state that allows it, um, the gray water can be captured prior to it going to your uh, 
city sewer system or to an on-site septic system, you can capture that prior to it and beneficially reuse it uh, for irrigation use uh, around the house. And so um, you can just see automatically that um, this water that is now gray water, you've already used it once. You've already paid for it because it passed your water meter. So you've already paid for it. If you can capture that water and reuse it one more time for a, uh, uh, in a source that will take place of other water that you would have had to have bought, you can just see automatically that that is going to be a huge benefit. And uh, gray water systems actually have a much better return on investment than rainwater systems. Um, and it's purely because gray water, you're producing it every single day. Whereas rainwater harvesting, you're kind of waiting for that next rain event uh, to come and fill up your tank. So then you have water to use. Uh, gray water, you're producing it every single day. So therefore, you're going to have this more consistent water uh, available to use it for irrigation uses. So so the uh, while the, the definition and all that and the concept is simple, um, it's the logistics of gray water systems is what is the, uh, the really the, the issue with uh, any sort of gray water. Um, and so, yeah, so that's, that's gray water and then, and then the benefits. And obviously that plugs into also the, when you think of the water energy nexus, again, you're reusing water that you've already used once. So you don't have to use another, uh, you know, you're exchanging a gallon of gray water rather than, taking a gallon of water from your city water and all that energy and everything that's used to get it there. So you can, uh, same thing applies like with the rainwater harvesting in terms of the uh, water energy nexus. So, so in a nutshell, that's, uh, that is what gray water is. And besides what you just mentioned about using less of your municipal water, what are some of the other environmental benefits of reusing gray water? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's really just the uh, reduction of of city water uh, use. Uh, And it's, it's, it's pairing up the uh, uh, quality of the quality of the water for its particular use. So, you know, a pet peeve of mine is, you know, we take perfectly good drinking water and we fill our toilets with it to flush our waste, right? And so, if we had a different quality quality of water to fill our toilets with, then that would be great, right? So we wouldn't want, wouldn't be using good drinking water. And so gray water, it presents this opportunity. So again, why are we sprinkling our grass and our petunias with perfectly good drinking water? And so with gray water, we have this kind of next quality water that again, it's not fit for consumption, but it can be definitely used for uh, irrigation use. And so that's another big uh, benefit is that we're cascading the water use and actually using the water at a state of quality uh, for a more appropriate use. And so, um, yeah, so in a nutshell, um, there's really just the conservation and the, you know, energy and then the, uh, the cascading water use are the main benefits. How do you go about reusing gray water? Like, is it even possible to do that in an existing home or apartment? All right. So this is the, the nitty gritty. So, uh, so gray water. Um, if you imagine the gray water fixtures that I mentioned, so just think about your bathroom and the drain pipes coming from your showers and your bathroom sink, and then the drain pipe that's coming from your clothes washer. And so, um, the, one of the easiest things, uh, ways to collect gray water is if you have a clothes washer 
that is on an exterior wall of a house, uh, an apartment, again, because you're not the owner, you won't be able to do this because you're going to have to like, you know, cut into the wall and, and whatnot. But, you know, if you have a house and the clothes washer is on an exterior wall. So if you look behind the, the clothes washer, there's a little knockout and they normally have this little plastic box in there and, and your water lines come up in there. And in between the water lines, there's your drain hole, uh, hole. And so basically you take the corrugated hose from your washing machine and it has that little little uh, kind of real bent little piece on the end and you just kind of hang it in there. And so then the washing machine pumps from the bottom up and then into that drain pipe. And so a real simple way is if it's on the exterior wall, then there's a very easy way to get in and you can, and the easiest way is to plumb just a separate pipe next to that in wall pipe and uh and this this pipe doesn't have to be in wall it can just be you know uh, secured to your wall right behind your washing machine and so then it allows you so that you can pull that little tube out from your washing machine or out from the drain and then put it into the other drain line that you just plumbed in and then that drain line can come out out the uh, bottom of your wall and then shoot out and then you can take it to wherever you want to take your gray water in your in your lawn and so the difficulty again is is trying to if you want to try to do this on a gravity basis and flow water to these different places um, online uh, there's uh, some websites uh, where you can find information about a system called a branched drain system and so basically it's taking this water from a like a, a washing machine output and then it basically you, you you lay pipe on slope and then you branch it off and then you can put valves where it branches so that you can control the flow of water where you want it to go um, so it, there is a, a lot to this you know you don't want to just simply take the clothes washer water and just just dump it out right next to your house right uh, uh, over time that area uh, will not be good for your foundation but over time that area will be waterlogged and any sort of vegetation that was living in it uh, is going to die. Uh, I mean, unless it was a you know a, a pond type of vegetation that that really likes a lot of water. Um, so you really have to distribute your gray water out to various places. So uh, so that's the easiest uh, way to 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 tap into and in, in a gray water source. Uh, the next step is if by chance you have a uh, pier and beam home. So this is a home that has piers and then, uh, and then beams. So that meaning you have a crawl space where you can actually get underneath your house and crawl around. Well, most of the time your plumbing pipes are exposed in your crawl space. And so therefore there's an easy way to take the bathroom sink, bathroom shower and your clothes washer and plumb those together and take that out to a gray water uh, system basin. And then collect the gray water there and do what you want uh, at that point. So, uh, so that's a little bit more advanced. Is is you know, and in this case, you would have to you know get a plumber you know to to do that type of work. Um, but that is the next step. And so, therefore, rather than just collecting your clothes washer water, now you're opening yourself up to open you know your your clothes uh, your your shower and your and your bathroom sink. So now you're adding more water to your gray water. Uh, potential. And so whenever the, uh, uh, the American Water Works Association um, did a study uh, back in 1999 and in 2016, where they looked at indoor water use. And so what they found is that on a typical home, nearly 50% of the water used is in the clothes washer, the shower, and the uh, 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 bathroom faucets. So 
right there is basically saying 50% of the water you're using is gray water. And if you're in a state that uh, legally allows it, you can take that water and use it for to replace irrigation water outside. So um, it's an amazing, there's an amazing resource. I really feel like gray water uh, as a system is kind of the next uh, frontier for water conservation, for, for our society, uh, for our homes to really take that next big leap um, is, 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 is a gray water system. And um, so, yeah, so, uh, and then, and then the next step from that, if you don't, if you don't have a pier and beam and you have a slab on grade home, so this is just a regular old concrete foundation home, pretty much uh, you're not going to be able to collect gray water because it's just going to be too expensive to reroute any sort of plumbing lines. Um, so therefore, um, I think there's a, should be a push that if you are thinking about any sort of construction of a home, um, to think about dual plumbing the house. And so that means you wanna have a separate black water collection pipe and a separate gray water collection pipe. And so while you're building a home, you can plumb it and then um, uh, you can actually simply just, if at that time you don't want to install a gray water system, the two pipes can come out of the house and then they can just basically tee together. But then anytime in the future, you're ready to do the gray water system. Now you can just come in, dig up that spot where it tees in and install the gray water system you know, right there. So, so to future proof our homes, um, I really feel like uh, the, a dual plumbing and in some communities, dual plumbing is an actual plumbing regulation where they have to do it. So there's a, um, a couple of the larger cities in Arizona and New Mexico actually have uh, local regulations that say if you build over a 2000 square foot home, you have to dual plumb. And so um, I think that's a, a really great first step for anyone who's thinking about building is to less dual plumb, you know, the house, so that then you're open to collecting gray water at any time in the future. So, um, so those are kind of the steps of, of gray water and without going into the real fine details of, you know, slopes and, and then, um, obviously there's, uh, you know, potentially pump systems and, uh, filter systems, um, that, that we get into when we're installing gray water systems. Uh, but that definitely is, is kind of the next step. Um, and for, for a lot of DIYers, it's, it's probably too much for them to take on. Um, but the, uh, the most simple is just the laundry, the laundry to landscape system. So taking the clothes washer water out to your landscaping. What are some of the legal restrictions on gray water reuse in the United States? So, yeah, there are definitely uh, places where you, uh, you know, you cannot do it. Um, and so, and it may be more so of because they, they haven't had any impetus to change the regulation. And so they just have the regulation of your, all your wastewater from your house has to go out and connect to the city sewer system um, or the city sanitary sewer system. So, you know, it may just be not necessarily that they're wanting to restrict it. It's just because they've uh, haven't had a lot of people knocking on the, you know, permit office door, going, "Hey, I want to install a, a gray water system." And so, definitely, um, there are places where um, where rainwater harvesting, as I said before, is legal, accepted, all that. Definitely, those same places could be going. Mm, no, you can't do gray water. And again, it's because of their lack of experience. Um, so uh, gray water is actually 
in the plumbing code. So both uh, the IPC and UPC plumbing codes, uh, they do have a chapter on auxiliary water systems. And so therefore, if the uh, local community um, has adopted the IPC or UPC plumbing code as their you know, local plumbing code, um, then it, it, you can make a case to say, hey, it, you know, it definitely is legal because it is in plumbing code. Um, and so uh, that's something to definitely check on. But um, the um, then you get into the nuances of, you know, can where can it be used? Um, uh, indoor, outdoor. Um, here just recently, last in Texas, the last legislature, a bill was passed that would allow for gray water to be plumbed back into the house to be used for, say, the, the toilet flushing. So whereas before it was illegal to plumb it inside, back inside, um, now it actually you, you can legally do it. Uh, there's a lot of challenges um, just technologically to doing that. So uh, right now it's just hard to really uh, say, yeah, you, you should think about doing it. Um, there's just not the, the systems out there in place, technological systems that for, will allow for that. So um, the um, I'm just trying to think of other you know, major, yeah, I mean, it really comes down to um, if it's accepted uh, locally, if there's a local uh, regulation um, that allows for it, or if it doesn't, that doesn't mean that, oh, you should just give up. It just may just mean that they haven't officially um, put that down uh, in, in, as a local regulation that it is uh, allowable. So, And my last question for you is, what are some of your favorite documentaries to learn more about water conservation and reuse? Yeah, so most of the, you know, I guess water-related uh, documentaries are, are more talking about um, not necessarily conservation per se, right? They're talking more about, uh, uh, you know, issues. So like, uh, you know, how private, privatization, I guess, of, of water, you know, and that's kind of taking away our water rights. Um, you know, the uh, treatment, you know, how our water is treated for our consumption, Um you know, so there's, so it's really, there's no documentaries out there that are kind of talking about, you know, the, the, the topic of water conservation. It's all these other kind of related ones. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, uh, I, I do, I did, I do have an extensive uh, uh, blog post that I, I wrote about this, but uh, so there's a couple on there and, you know, one is, is called flow. And it, this is one that deals with uh, uh, water privatization and how corporations are, you know, slowly going out uh, through their actions um, and taking over local water systems um, to uh, become the provider. And so therefore you're, Pan, uh, you know, the, the local water system is owned by a corporation. Therefore, you know, a corporation, if it is publicly publicly traded, then it has profit goals and all that stuff that is trying to meet, so that its investors uh, and shareholders can be rewarded. Yada yada. And so you can see, um, if we think of water as a basic human right and human need, uh, that sometimes the uh, uh, these the you know the, the uh, a corporation may not have the best um, uh, intentions in mind in terms of providing a clean water source because of water being our basic need. Uh, one here recently that I, I just watched, and it's not it's not a water documentary. Um, it's Michael Moore's uh, Fahrenheit uh, 11.9. Now, no, this is a it's a political documentary about the uh, the, the, the Trump candidacy and presidency, uh, but he does spend a good bit of time on the uh, Flint 
Michigan uh, situation. Um, and, uh, and obviously, since he's from Michigan, um, he, he spends a lot of time on it. And, and really, for me, you know, someone who who as an engineer, you know, I kind of try to keep up with water news and, and different things across the United States. But I really learned a lot about the uh, the Flint um, situation um, in, in that documentary. So um, I, I would suggest, you know, that's a, you know, a good place to, if you really want to get into the, the background of that, of the Flint issue and, and, um, and not just the, uh, you know, just, not just the stuff that you can just read from a, from a news report about it, but to actually get into uh, what political moves, you know, potentially cause the, the issue of the, the water um, having the high, high uh, lead content in it. So, um, yeah, uh, from the, those are probably the, you know, the main two, I guess, and one just because it's, I just watched it a couple of weeks ago and, and, it's, it, it re- and it taught me something. So, so I think that, uh, yeah, would be the, the best. And I, again, you know, I think in your show notes, you'll have a, a link to my blog post that I have 10 other documentaries uh, that uh, are, are really good to watch as well. Yes, I will definitely be including that in the show notes. And Chris, thank you so much for taking the time to share all of your expertise with us. You're very welcome. Yeah, it's something that I'm very passionate about. And, uh, you know, if, if all of us, you know, we can just start on the path and do little by little uh, in terms of conserving water, um, you know, all of our little, you know, things that we can do, they add up to a, a, a massive amount of water. So whatever you can do to start down the journey of conserving water um, is, is, is the best. So whether it's rainwater, whether it's just turning off the water while you're showering, uh, just any little thing that you can do that push forward to uh, reducing your water footprint uh, benefits you and benefits all of us as well. So, so thank you very much for having me. And that's a wrap. I'll be back next week with Lindsay McCoy of Plain Products to talk about how she started her refillable products company. If you find value in the Hippie Haven podcast, please share it with someone you know who'd be interested. Post about it on social media. If you're on Instagram, don't forget to tag me too. I'm at a hippie in a van. And don't forget to vote every day for Bestowed Essentials to win the $50,000 FedEx Small Business Grant so that I can continue to spread sustainability in my local Rapid City community and around the world. The link to vote is in the show notes, and you can follow us on Instagram at Bestowed Essentials to get the daily reminder in our IG stories. Thank you all from the bottom of my heart for supporting the work I do. I hope you have a great rest of your day.